This is the Live Life Aggressively Podcast. Sincere Hogan, Mike Mahler. And yeah, man, summer's here. And it's about time to get back to the pool. Yep, summer's here, and the flakes are here, too. We've had two guests flake on us, so you guys can go fuck yourselves. <laughs> you know who you are. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> All right. Oh, man. Yeah, but we have a great guest today who's not going to flake, because we made sure to confirm with it, so we'll get to him in a few minutes. But just wanted to update everyone on a few things. One, our Live Life Aggressively Summit course, September 2021, Las Vegas. Kim Blackburn, Steve Cotter, Sincere Hogan, and myself. It's going to be a two-day course kettlebells, bodyweight exercises, and as I said again, I'm going to say it again, in Las Vegas. It's going to be a blast. So we have five spots. Actually, we have three spots left for this course now. So you want to make sure you use coupon code LLA. Go get signed up today. Get 10% off. And more than the 10% off, you want to make sure you get in the course, period. Because once this thing sells out, that's it. You're done. And we're not, this is not going to be something we're going to go on tour with. A few people have asked me, hey, when are you guys bringing that course to New York City? When are you bringing it to the Midwest? We're not. No, I'm done with all that. You, know, so you, <laughs> you want to work with us, you're going to come to Vegas, which is hardly a hardship proposition. Do I really need to push you to come out to Las Vegas and have a great time? Didn't think so. <laughs> yeah, so go to MikeMahler.com, get signed up for that. Okay, yeah. next thing is my estrogen blocker formula is finalized. I just put a ton of money into building my inventory for my testosterone booster, so I won't be allocating any funds to the estrogen blocker until probably July, and then I'll have it ready for around August to get going. And then I also have a pre-workout drink that I've been working on. A lot of people are going, when's PowerShot coming back? When's PowerShot coming back? Well, it's never coming back. That's, that's the bad news. <laughs> the good news is something a lot better is coming, and I've put together a killer formula I'm going to be getting samples probably in the next week or two. I'm going to send some to you, Sincere. I'm going to send awesome. some to a few other people. We'll get some feedback. And then we'll probably have to tweak the formula here and there and make sure it's perfect. And then we'll be ready to go on that. So that'll be out before the end of the year because I like to take my time with these things. Some people go, come on, when's it coming out? When's it coming out? Why does it take so long? Well, it takes a long time if you want to do it right. You want to make right. a crappy-ass product, it doesn't take much time at all, which is why most supplements suck. Because right. people just put together some shitty-ass formula, put a label on it, and then spend the rest of their money on marketing. Well, I like to do the opposite. Spend very little money on marketing, put, put all my time and research into developing a killer formula, like my testosterone booster, and then deliver a great product and let the word of mouth take care of the rest. So anyway, we'll have more updates on that, but there's great things coming. The course, get on that. The product's coming soon. How about yourself, man? Anything in the pipeline? Anything Anything on the grind? <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm steady grinding over here behind the scenes, quote unquote. <laughs> so um, yeah, I got some things uh, coming. Is this by yourself or are you into <laughs> <laughs> To my grinding, not on, but I'm not on Grindr. So you know, I know some of you probably have that app on your phone. You know, I'm not judging you. I'm just saying I'm not on it. Okay, so yeah, but I got some things coming up for some coffee lovers out there. It's going to be the first probably of quite a few things coming down the pipe. And like you, just like you said, I want to take my time with these things and not just throw it out there and sit there and spend a bunch of money on marketing hype and give you a bunch of bullshit, you know, bulletproof bullshit, you know, and anything like that and try to go over the top <laughs> with the marketing or anything like that. Actually, like I said, I want to make sure that you have a quality product. You have something that you truly love. And like I said, um, Mike and I were just talking yesterday and we were just reading some great studies recently on coffee, man. It's just yeah. kind of ridiculous, man. And we're going to talk about that in upcoming shows, especially right around the time where I'm getting ready to drop some of the stuff on you. But um, like I said, I've been having a lot of you guys reach out to me asking about coffee and the type of beans and, and different methods of brewing your coffee. And a lot of you were saying like, you know, hey, man, I didn't, you know, I've just been a guy that's kind of pretty much used my drip, you know, machine or something like that and didn't realize there was just so many more intricate details to like brewing a good cup of coffee but at the same time not to where it's so where you can understand it because you know i'm not i'm gonna admit even in the coffee world just like wine cigars and, and whiskey or whatever you've got some coffee snobs out there and they they, they kind of <laughs> get a little elitist and they kind of you know don't want to tell you all these little things they act like they're these big secrets or whatever but then you have some of those who are enthusiasts like they can't wait to talk about all the different things of coffee and really help educate you on that because they truly, truly love it and they're very passionate about it. And I like to think that I'm one of those people. So the more and more I learn, the more and more I'm sharing here and 
hey, that's just like that's just the next evolution for what's going on with new warrior training, more like new warrior lifestyle training, which is what it's always been. So it's not always just about lifting weights and, and, and nutrition. It's a lifestyle. And that's what we talk about on the show. It's just lifestyle. So, yeah, man, big things coming up for that. Um, just kind of waiting on some things to come in and then we can re- I can go full steam ahead with the first round of what we got coming up over on new warrior training. Also got use that coupon code LLA and you'll get 10% off of my body retraining DVD as well as the physical copy or the digital copy. And uh, also my weight management one-on-one course. So here's the deal. If you're going to be one of those people who don't make it out to Vegas, first of all, shame, shame on you. (laughs) So, I mean, you can always get the second best thing and you can buy the DVD. And while you're at it, you can hop over to Mike's site and buy his DVDs, and then you can just wish. You can just sit there and put some stand-up cardboard cutouts of Mike, Steve, Ken, and myself. Turn on those DVDs and just pretend you're in Vegas. Or you can do the real thing and go over to Mike's site, sign up for the course, and still buy our DVDs. <laughs> so, so therefore, you retain yeah, a lot my, of my, I mean, at this stage in the game, with, <laughs> with only three spots left, I, I really could care less if anyone signs up for the course. Right? <laughs> so, I mean, if, you, if you're on the fence, that's that's fine. Stay on that side of the fence. But stay on that side of the fence with your keyboard and go buy some products. Get, <laughs> get my testosterone booster. Get my recovery oil. Get my restore some. Get Sincere's products. And get yourself in shape. Get a exactly. killer summer going. Use that coupon code LLA. Get 10% off everything. All right, we have a killer guest today. I'm going to go ahead and connect him in a second. We have Brett Contreras, who is, again, a high-level strength coach. He's got killer information all over the web, YouTube, Facebook, his website. So definitely check out his stuff, and we're going to look forward to learning from him today. Brett, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Hey, man. Welcome to the show. (laughs) I have to tell you, I think I I have a – you were um, one of the guys I, I looked up to very much. I still look up to you, but um, you know, like this was like probably over a decade ago. I bought a kettlebell DVD from you, and I mean, I can remember remember watching you. God, this was so long ago, and it's <laughs> funny that now I'm a, a a guest on your podcast. Oh, that's cool, man! I nice. appreciate it. That's awesome. When uh, how when did you get into business, Brett? So I kind of laid low. I was just a lurker. Uh, for a lot of years, and it's funny. It was it was always a goal of mine to write a T Nation to you know to get an article published on T Nation. Sure. Mm-hmm. And I wrote a few articles over the years. Yeah. And just never sent them. I was like, oh, I'm not ready. <laughs> I waited and waited, and and you know I I got my CSCS and uh, you know personal trainer certification when I was like 21 or something, and was doing personal training on the side for a lot of years. I was a, a high school math teacher. Hmm. And then I left teaching to open up my own gym, and but I'm I'm 37 now. I don't think I wrote my first article until I was like 33. So I had been a personal trainer for about 12 years and owned my own gym and, um, you know, trained a lot of. What well, well, what made you hold off for so long? I just didn't. You know, you read these guys' articles and you know, they're intimidating. How smart they are about functional anatomy and things like that. And I right, just right. I was ready. And, but looking back, I, I was right. You know, I, I think people do need to wait, you know, that you don't just jump in at like age 21 when you train your first client and start. (laughs) Right. It's it's a tough one because on one hand you can delay it forever, right? Like I have friends who are going, Oh, I just, I'm going to write this article when I know this and when I know this and when I know this, and you can delay that process forever and never get anything done. And then on the other hand, you can jump in too soon with a bunch of nonsense, look like a total idiot, and then and then it's hard to make that mid-course correction. So it's hard to get the timing right. But I, I can relate to what you're saying a great deal because one of my ambitions was to write for T Nation as well before I got into the business. This is back when I was around 26, 27. And I, I had the same feeling of why would anyone want to listen to me? You have that insecurity going on. Exactly. It's related to confidence. And, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, it took me – like I, I trust me, I read journal articles from people who are so much, you know, more intelligent than I am, and so you have to have the confidence to know that, well, you know, th- these guys might be smarter in their field, but I, you know, I know how to tie it into what's practical. Or right. you, you don't have to right. be the smartest guy in the world. You, 
a lot of the more popular strength coaches are just the guys that are good at making sense of things. But yes, right. Regardless, you need that confidence factor. You need to, you know, you can't be doubtful of your your abilities. Right, right. And I think it all starts with personal results. That's not the, I mean, that's not the only thing you need. But if you have personal results from the knowledge that you've applied to yourself, that's that builds a lot of confidence because you can always fall back on that. Not to say that people that are impressive with their own physical abilities make the best strength coaches. But I do feel that it's 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 the component you need. You don't have to be the strongest guy in the world, but you actually have to have you actually have to be a product of your own advice. Exactly. You have to try to at least apply what you're talking about. And, you know, so many guys, they read other people's articles and they regurgitate it. They reword it and try to make it their own. But they haven't even tried the stuff out themselves. But they said this is what's going to work. And but well, they I haven't mean, done it. You know, Yeah, you can't be a fat loss expert and be a fat ass. For example, <laughs> you know? This is uh, something I've thought a lot about. And on the one hand, uh, you, like, you know, I always I, I've read blog posts about people, you know, writing articles about exercise they've never done. And it, right, uh, right. Being, uh, you know, I, I am kind of a champion of the hip thrust exercise and I've read hmm. people writing full on articles and then at the end, they'll write, they'll admit, you know, I've never done the exercise. And I'm thinking <laughs> about an article, you know, an exercise you've never done. And, and I've like, uh, you know, I would never, let's say I wanted to write an article about the Turkish getup. Well, I don't do Turkish getups very often. I've included them in books and I have, you know, strength coach friends that love them. But I can, you know, I remember doing a 50 pound with a dumbbell Turkish getup and it was the hardest thing I've ever done. I got it, but it was ugly. And I'm going, how the hell do my friends do, you know, 106 pounder? That is impossible. But my point is, I wouldn't write, you have never seen an article from me about the Turkish getup. If I was to write an article, I would do Turkish getups probably like five days a week for a solid month. And I would include that in the article and say, I've been doing this for consistently for the last month. And I've gone from an ugly 50 pound Turkish getup to you know, whatever, 85 pounds, and my, my form is a lot cleaner. Here are the things I've learned along the way. So you need to have the experience, in my opinion. But in uh, on the other hand, I think a big pitfall of a lot of these guys, like like think of these power lifters that are just built to lift. You know, the right. guys bench 225, their first time ever bench pressing. Right, right. And they they cannot understand why how it would be hard to – like they think that squatting is just a matter of putting in the time. They don't understand how awkward it can be for someone who's super tall with long femurs or something like that. Right. right. They relate, and so it's that's why it's important to be a, a personal trainer or a coach to work with a lot of people. Because when you work with a lot of people, you you know you you got there's so much things you learn about the you know the the inter individual differences and variations amongst people, and so. A lot of times I read advice from, you know, top powerlifters. And, and I will tell you, I follow the powerlifting culture. And I can just tell you that the, well, one common pitfall they make is, oh, I'm, I'm on this new routine. Everyone should try it. Or I had this epiphany and it worked for me. So it'll right. work for everyone. Or, or they, they might do an exercise, like say a kettlebell swing, and they don't like it. They think it's, right. you know, because they didn't do it. They didn't feel it right. So it obviously is stupid for everyone, right? Like, <laughs> so it, it's both. You have to lift. To me, you to be the ultimate expert, you want to learn through three different ways through through lifting yourself, through training other people, and then through reading, you know, reading and, and ex- extending your education. Yeah, that's yeah, very perfect well formula said. right there. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's 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 very well stated. You bring up a good point why a lot of professional athletes are not good coaches. Because when things come easy to you, and not to say they didn't put in work, but you're starting from a much higher point than the average person is, that you, it's hard for that person to relate. And we've, we've seen that in our community as well, where people have been teaching kettlebells for a long time, and they're very proficient at it. And then they have, they're working with a beginner who's having a very difficult time. And sometimes the trainer will get frustrated because they forget how difficult it was for themselves. Or maybe it never was that difficult. Maybe they right. picked it up fast because they're naturally athletic, coordinated pick up things quickly. And that, that's a very important component. And also you bring up the other point you brought up about how different body types are going to respond to different things. You know, certain body types are going to respond very well to the deadlift. For example, myself, I respond, I, my body type is made for deadlifting way more so than squatting. You know, it's a much different animal for me. 
So someone who just comes in and puts together a routine for me, they, they have to take that into account. Yep. Right. So, Brett, let me ask you this. And I, I read an article recently, and I know you were just talking about kettlebells, and we're just kind of talking about the parliamentary community. And But also, I saw that you were – someone asked you about your opinion on the swing, in your opinion, being a better fit than, let's say, Olympic lifting and jump squats. And talk more about that, why you feel like the kettlebell swing may be a little bit better. Um, I – you know, it's funny. I had done swings years ago with light weights, and I just half of my innovation as a trainer has come from my loathing of high reps. It's not the I think high reps are very effective. I just hate I hate the burn. I hate it's just excruciating for me to do high reps. So I always try to make things harder and heavier. You know, I don't like mm-hmm. doing a, a set of twelve body weight chin ups. I want to throw a forty, you know, a seventy pounds around me and do a set of three or something. Well, same thing with swings. I I would I discovered heavier swings later on, and I I just fell in love with them. And first of all, I they helped clean up my deadlift form somehow. I don't know the exact mechanism how, but they helped me. I started deadlifting with a more upright torso, and right, right. I, I, I wish I could explain that because I I would like to say that that's from quad strengthening that allows you to stay more upright, but. Maybe it was something about my posterior chain because I don't think the swing hammers the quads so much as the posterior chain. But whatever it did, maybe it's because you're focusing on keeping an arch. And when you use heavier kettles, you know, I have a 106-pounder and a 203-pounder. That 203-pounder, you know, owns you. you got to learn how to, how to do it right. But I do like heavier swings for, for athletes. Um, I think if... I, I think if I measured, if I had a way to measure hip power, I think the swing would just be through the roof. I know you would, from like a geeky biomechanics perspective, <laughs> you would t- take like, you use your quads, you know, through throughout life. Every time you walk upstairs or get up from a chair, in sports you use them. So most athletes know how to use their quads. And then when you teach them to use their hips more, they just become better and better, and so I. I and then the other thing is, from a technique, pers- uh, from a like a from a coaching perspective, there's so many athletes who you know say what you want about a, Olympic weightlifting. I love Olympic weightlifting, but there are some body types that aren't well suited for it. And no matter you know you train them for a year and they still look so awkward doing like a hang clean or something. It looks right. like a, you know they're they're still using like. 95 pounds after a whole year of doing them and you can say oh that's because you don't know how to to coach the 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 olympic lifts but it's a lot of times it's just that it's not good for this person's body type they might have long forearms or whatever but you know they, they don't catch it well or they just don't i don't know but the kettlebell swing seems easier for most people to pick up because it's, it's just a, an easier lift than the than the Olympic lifts in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, I agree. Right, I agree. Yeah. And the double swing carries over to the deadlift very well. I think it reinforces the groove. It, re- it also increases force production. So I find that when you get – when you're working with really heavy kettlebells on double swings – that you're just able to move much faster. It reinforces the groove you use for kettlebell uh, for a deadlifting, and you're able to rip the bar off the ground and keep that speed all the way till the end. And what I really find is that when I do deadlifts four inches off the ground, right, so a partial deadlift, I'm, I'm getting in the exact same position as I would get in for a double swing. So I really find that it carries over there. Because many people find with my deadlift is that I, I finish fast. I'm slower off the ground, but I finish the move fast. And I think a lot of that is from years and years of kettlebell swings. I, I, I totally agree with that, Mike. I One thing that I, um, I you know, the, the one, dr- I guess you could say a drawback of the deadlift is that if you pull off the ground in really good position, then the lockout is pretty easy. Like if you keep a solid arch, by the time you pass your knees, it's a pretty easy lockout for the hips. I struggle with rounding, and so with rounding, it makes it easier to pull it off the floor. But the lockout becomes a bear. You know, it's you got to really have strong glutes to to push your hips forward when you're in that position. But uh, but if you do pull off the floor in a deadlift with a good arch, then the lockout's pretty easy. Well, that's why I love the kettlebell swing. You are maximally loading the hips through the full range of motion and you right. even, you keep the glutes turned on while the bell's swinging in the air uh, until the bell comes back down you know and it's a uh, 
it's just a good, it's just such a good exercise for the hips. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. And one more thing that the kettlebell, you know, I know you're asking like, well, you were saying that you didn't know exactly what it was about the swing that helped with the carryover with the deadlift. I think another thing is with the kettlebell swing, it really reiterates all those mechanics that are necessary for a deadlift that are often forgotten. A lot of times people just go right into a deadlift and they haven't really done anything else like swings or anything like that. So what ends up happening is they're getting ready to pull off the ground. As they're bringing it up, you know, you start having this rounding of the shoulders. These are a lot of things that you have to kind of tell somebody and teach them over and over, like, hey, you know, pull your shoulders back, do this, this, and this. But a lot of times it just they just don't catch that. It just doesn't resonate with them. It's just not sinking in because they're so focused on pulling this heavy weight off the floor. But I think what happens is that kettle, doing the kettlebell swings is pretty much subconsciously just teaching you over and over and over what to do as you're coming up with that bell. When you're coming up with that bell, you're, you're, it's a lot easier for you to remember to pack your shoulders and bring your shoulders back, pinch your shoulder blades together, and, and kind of keep those armpits kind of closed without your arms swinging out or whatever, which pretty much is what you're going to be doing when you're pulling the barbell up and doing a deadlift. But one more thing, you just, but now you get to do it a little bit faster with the kettlebell instead of just yep. having to do that one hard pull, you know, maybe for a couple of reps if you're training correctly and not doing high rep deadlifts, you know, when you're doing that. So it just kind of carries over. And so it's now it's ingrained in your brain. So now you don't have to think about it so much. It just becomes so natural to do that. And once you pull that bar up, you naturally want to snap those hips. You want to pull those shoulder blades together and then bring the pack those lats towards your crack is what I tell everybody to do. And you know, it's just so much you know, easier to remember that without having to sit there and really think about it. It becomes second nature. You know, I think the I spent such a you know I think I spent with shipping like six hundred some dollars on my on my <laughs> kettle my my two hundred <laughs> if they were more affordable I think that they'd be a lot more popular for powerlifters I think a lot of power because I think they're better than dynamic effort deadlifts it's just it it's mm-hmm. it's a harder you know you, you do some dynamic effort deadlifts it just doesn't. I love dynamic effort deadlifts, but I think kettlebell swings are just, oh, they're, they're a different animal. They're harder. Um, they just, I, and I think they, you know, again, you strengthen the hips to the full range. I think you get even more hip power out of it, but I could be wrong about that. But I think they would be more popular if they just was a way to, you know, every gym has a barbell, but very few gyms have heavier kettlebells. Yeah, that's right. Most, very few gyms have anything over 70 pounds. And I've never seen a gym, a commercial gym anyway, that's going to have a 200-pound kettlebell. Right. Most gyms don't have that, period. Well, that's but a big liability, was, big time, though. That, and there, there's probably only one or two guys in the whole place that could use it. Right? <laughs> right, exactly. So it's, not, it's not really worth them investing <laughs> you know, money into that. <laughs> I, I train, you know, I, I specialize in training women. I freaking love the 203-pound kettlebell for deadlifts. I, I, mm. you know, first of all, it's a little bit higher up. Right, right. Uh, so you're starting from a couple inches higher. Yes. And right. second of all, it's right. It's it's like the equivalent of a trap bar deadlift, but the arms go inside the legs. It's like a sumo mm. trap bar deadlift. You're not limited by the knees, so you can teach them the deadlift so quickly. You know, with well, I have a hundred. I, like I said, I have a hundred six pounder, and I'll take my advanced women and teach them. Like you know, I I, I get them deadlifting with that for like you know the, when, once they get to where they can do a couple sets of twenty. Then I can even have them try the 203 pounder, and you know I get them deadlift. They, they're so excited when they pull 200 pounds, and and it's just so easy to learn the form because you don't have to work around the knees. It just drops straight below. It's kind of a right. you know, it's like a they the trap bar deadlift. They called it the squat lift uh, because it's kind of a mixture between a squat and a deadlift. Well, that's right. mm-hmm. the same thing with the kettlebell deadlift. Yeah, and also I find that double swings outside the feet work better for me because I can replicate the stance I take when I deadlift, which is basically a close stance, hands outside the feet. So when I do double swings, the bells are outside my feet, same exact stance as I would take on a deadlift. That I find has a nice carryover, and then I I have more freedom of motion. I can generate more power. It's not a fit for everybody type, but I find that it fits my body type extremely well. And then... I can use the kettlebells I have. So I have two, two 97-pound kettlebells. That's close enough to 200 pounds rather than just having a 200-pound kettlebell where there's only so many moves you can do with it. Interesting. I've never uh, done the double swings on, on the outside of the body. I've, I've seen people doing them. And I've always, it's always been something that I wanted to try and then just for some reason haven't gotten around to. Yeah, yeah I'll, send you some, I'll send you some clips. And yeah, yeah it's, it's definitely where you definitely give it a shot. It might feel awkward, but it, it carries over nicely. And, yeah. and with some clients, 
a lot of times when you're teaching them the kettlebell clean or, you know, even double snatches or even just long cycle stuff, which, you know, with the clean and jerk or clean and press, it feels awkward, especially like with a lot of female clients, especially if you're using competition bells for them to go between the legs with those big bells. So yeah, a lot of times they feel so much more comfortable. I'm trying to be very PG here. I know, I know Mike's mind right now. Like, that's what she said. And when those big belts <laughs> between the legs, you know. Like, as that was coming like, up. big bells go between her legs. <laughs> as I was saying, I was like, oh, hell, Mike's about to get started. Let, let me hurry up and get this out now. <laughs> but, you know, a lot of times I know a lot of my female clients tend to really resonate with the bells going outside the legs. And they feel a lot more comfortable, especially using competition bells. Now, when you're using some of these other smaller shaped bells like eighters or something like that, then may not be an issue. Or a lot of times, especially if the, the client is shorter, you know, they really feel a little bit more comfortable going on the outside. But, you know, of course, there's always that little, for some, they have that anxiety, like, okay, I might hit my knees. And, but I'm thinking like, well, if you're sitting there struggling trying to get, you know, those big competition bells between your, your legs, you might end up hitting your knees anyway. So, yep. and so just, it's just a matter of like just adjusting their stance and they end up finding that they're more comfortable. Plus, it seems like you have more power to generate on that upswing when your feet are a little bit closer anyway, instead of having your feet out a little wider than you right. would, you know, we're going between the legs. Because I always say when you do that, even on a deadlift, when you're doing like a sumo deadlift or something like that, I said, always, it always feels like you're spilling power out to the side like that. When you kind of bring your feet in, you got everything centralized, you got more kick when you're going, you know, when you're pulling up by doing it that way. Yeah, yeah, I just, yeah, I just sumo deadlift just doesn't res- respond to my body type. Although to be fair, I, I haven't spent a lot of time working on it. But that's that's the what what sincere covered is why double swing with the kettlebells between my feet, especially as the bells get bigger. Let's say you're not using pro grade bells; the bells are getting bigger with each size upgrade. You have to take a much wider stance, which I don't feel is going to have the precise carryover that I'm looking for to the way I deadlift. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. So, Brett, here's the big question, man. So you're pretty much known as the glutes guy, or as yep. I say, you're the ass man. <laughs> okay, so, you know, like, how did this become, like, your area of specialty? Yeah, it's a good like, question. You know, like, like, I mean, and trust me, I know I had a lot of my female clients who follow you, and I was just wondering, like, okay, how do you, you know Brett? How do you know about Brett? But then Sincere's, once I started looking, like, I thought I was the ass man. How did he take that? <laughs> yeah, though? when I started, like, really looking at some of your articles, because I, like, I would... I would see, like, you know, I saw the hip thrusters and saw that, and I saw that was very, you know, I saw a lot of videos from you on that. And I said, okay, I can see why women like that. But then I started to look around. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Brett's central focus here is really on building a great ass. I'm <laughs> like, how, how very Al Pacino of you. He's <laughs> 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 got a great ass. <laughs> so, yeah, man, how did you, how did you, I mean, without stating the obvious here, how, how did that become like your area of specialty? How'd you, how'd you get into the ass to, to the degree that you have? <laughs> Why the ass, man? <laughs> so, you know what we talked about earlier, the person who, you know, things came easy to. That person, you know, if you're the type, (laughs) we know where this is going. (laughs) Um, If you have good glute genetics, I mean, I know girls that you know just have a naturally an amazing butt, and it's like they do cardio and they their butts perky and amazing. Obviously, that the person with great glute genetics doesn't become a glute expert because they 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 can do cardio, they can do squats they can do deadlifts they can do kickbacks and get you know because they're they have good glute genetics but if if you have poor glute genetics i had to learn everything in order to get glutes i was that guy whose back went straight into his legs i'm i have i had no glute development to speak of and yeah, so I was that kid growing up too man in elementary school you know they ate flat back you know oh, i can iron my shirt on your back and, just, and, and being african-american that didn't resonate well i'm like wait a minute aren't we all supposed to have an ass what, what, what's going on here mom what did you do to me <laughs> with, the, with the genetics here <laughs> yeah yeah so i so it, it started out just me you know i still remember from age like you know 15 to 20 probably t- like 23 three or four, I would, I would get the muscle magazines and I was always interested in what, what the guy, you know, they never talked about their glute workout, but I wanted to see their leg workout. I wanted to know this secret exercise or the secret program. I wanted to keep growing my glutes. And I learned, I remember even at 20, like 19, I think I was, my cousin bought me this, it's, it's a book. I still have it. It's called something like the secret to the, 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 the ultimate guide to glute development or butt development or something i can't remember the title but he said because i've never met someone who's so 
you know, interested in building glutes. And that was, you know, 16 or whatever, 18 years ago. And so I started out getting glutes myself. And then when I, it just, you know, the, the way things happen, it was, I opened up a facility. I bought a bunch of elite FTS equipment. And when I quit teaching, I thought I'm going to train athletes. I bought, you know, I have got this giant, you know, power rack with all the amenities. I've got a reverse hyper, a glute ham raise. I've got, you know, a step-up attachment, a prowler. I'm going to train athletes. Well, it didn't work out that way. All my female friends and family members were like, I want to train with you. And I'd say, well, I kind of, my equipment is kind of geared towards training, you know, stronger. You know, I'm thinking of giving like, you know, your mom reverse hypers or something. You're like, okay, she's not going to like this. (laughs) (laughs) They loved it. They absolutely loved the training. And, you know, within three months of opening up my business, I had 55 clients. I had to hire two trainers to help out because it was all just word of mouth through other women going, you got to try this guy's workouts. And, you know, it's funny. I still remember like I'd have women, I, I would have like Scottsdale because I was in Scottsdale. I'd have Scottsdale moms calling their friends and their daughters and stuff in the middle of their workout going, you got to get down here. And then I'd have like within like minutes that someone would show up and, and join. And hmm. so... That then my clients would tell me, you need to popularize your methods. You're, uh, we've trained through different trainers in the Phoenix area, and you're the best at this. People need to know your system. And I'd say, well, I'm too tired at the end of the day. You know, if you've owned a, a, a training studio, it's, you, you're exhausted at the end of the day. You have no time to write a blog or write an article or film right. a video. And so I decided to take the next step and and because you know start up a youtube and blog and do the whole facebook twitter and instagram and all that so and that's kind of hard you have to grow into being comfortable with the social media roles because it, it's it's you have to learn how to market yourself and be a little bit vain and it's hard to do if you're that doesn't come natural to you right <clears throat> yeah because you constantly ask and that, and that comes natural to a lot of people as we know in our narcissistic <laughs> culture so that, that's not a that's not a problem most people have it's like man I'm just not vain enough i say you know you you can doubt like because a lot of the i would say the like well the it's weird the bodybuilders and powerlifters a lot of my female fans um, will tell me, you know, I was at the gym and someone saw me doing hip thrusts and, and, you know, they said, that's stupid, just squat. And I always tell them, tell the people, go to my website and look at my testimonials. You will be blown away. You know, to me, I can tell you things about EMG and about different aspects of hypertrophy, but that's all fluff. When you've got the testimonials to prove it, right. Some of these right, girls. Exactly. Well, that, that's such a dumb comment for someone exactly. to make, too. You're seeing someone doing hip thrust, just squat. Yeah. Totally different movements, Jackoff. <laughs> that would be like seeing someone do kettlebell swings. Go, what are you doing that for? Just squat. <laughs> yeah, well, I bet, things, you, buddy. I bet, you know, and, but it's not just the hip thrust. We do, I do variety. I'm a huge fan of variety. We do exercise, like, there's a way to do back extensions, horizontal back extensions, a way to do them to where you feel them almost all on the glutes and we do reps, do medium reps. We do low reps. We try to work the glutes as hip extensors, hip external rotators, hip abductors and posterior pelvic tilters. I've, you know, I've, I've really refined my system. And so, um, you know, but, but it's funny, you can borrow from all the different, because hell, everyone knows glute training, you know, glutes are important in all the different fields. And so, I learned things from the kettlebell people, from the bodybuilders, from the powerlifters, from the Olympic weightlifters, from the strongmen, and then I kind of bring it all together into into you know one system. Definitely. So, <clears throat> let me ask you this, Brett. Now, the majority of your clients they're they're women, correct? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember seeing on one of your posts, you know, some guy was asking you. I th- it was also, I think, that same question directed toward like, what's better, um, the kettle- heavy kettlebell swings or Ply, um, or Olympic lifting, and for but he was asking more in terms for football players. But you were like, yeah, I don't train football players. I have bikini competitors <laughs> in my apartment. <laughs> and I was like, I said, and now we know why he's the ultimate ass man. <laughs> well, I'll tell you a funny story. I had a, I trained six bikini competitors out of my co- my sixth floor condo. Tough gig there. Yeah, I know. Sucks being <laughs> you, Brett. <laughs> I just moved back from New Zealand, uh, where I was 
uh, getting my PhD. I still haven't gotten my PhD. I haven't finished, but I'm still working on it. But I had just moved back from a year of studying out there, and I didn't have a facility. So I just have this condo, and I get a, a friend e uh, emailed or called me and said, I've got a lot of girls who want to train with you. And I'm like, you know, I don't want to disappoint them. So I'm like, well, all I have is my condo. And I had smuggled my glute, my like a lever squat machine, a glute ham developer, and, you know, some plates and a barbell up to my, to my sixth floor condo. It's a one bedroom condo. And, but I trained these six girls out of my condo. We did hip, I put a bench press up against the TV stand and I had like travertine tile and I'd give them hip thrusts on, on, on the travertine tile. If they would have slammed down with it, it would have cracked the, the tile. Right. I had them doing kettlebell deadlifts. I'd put like an Eric's pad on the floor and had them do kettlebell deadlifts for high reps. I had them do high rep back extensions and the lever squat machine. So, it, it, and they saw unbelievable results unbelievable and, and it's so it taught me you don't need all this you know all the equipment in the world you just need a good system and you know in, in in get you know the girls got strong in all rep ranges they they we engaged in progressive overload and they saw good results here's the real question brett what do all your neighbors think when they see all these bikini clad women coming in <laughs> out of your house <laughs> what do they really what do they think you really do in a condo i always wondered that i get some interesting looks at and the girls would uh when they were in the elevator coming up they and if anyone was in there they they would milk it up and make yeah, they all they all have trench coats on coming up <laughs> you know? should have really exaggerated it's like hey girls wear trench coats when you come over just, but, but, yeah. this is, but this is arizona it looks a little song. odd though it's arizona <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't doesn't look suspicious at all <laughs> now but now brett have you had success with getting anyone to do a full glute ham range off a glute ham ham raise off the floor or off something such as a poor man glute ham machine. I don't know if you're familiar with that, which is way harder than off familiar with it. Yeah, way harder. I call that a Nordic ham curl. Yeah, it's um, ridiculously hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so it's. Yeah. It's hard to see. So what I've found is form is very okay. You can get people to do them if they lean forward at the hips slightly yeah, and they yeah, don't yeah. quite come down all the way, right? then then it's easier. But uh, if you actually have people kind of keep uh, like a neutral pelvis and go into full uh, knee extension and full and keep their hips extended all the way, it's darn near impossible for someone to do a, one correctly, but with, with, with body with no assistance. But, uh, God, I remember seeing, I think it was, was it Adam Archuleta back in the day? Those yeah. Yeah, people. that's what got that's what got me into it. That freak of nature, or whatever that was called, when Dre Schroeder was training him. Yeah, 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 right. Badass. Uh, you know, sport or whatever, and and he he was doing them with like extra weight. Yeah, so off I, the floor, I, which is ridiculously yeah, hard. I started doing them back back then. I I was probably around twenty five years old or so. It was probably twelve years ago, and I got to where I could do like eight reps. But come to think of it. I was bend, I was bending at the hips a little bit. So uh, if you keep full hip extension and go down, it's a lot harder. I probably could have right. won the exact way, but I did. My hamstrings did get strong. I've never gotten clients to be able to do it very well. But uh, I mean, just doing the negative yeah, is very effective. I mean, nothing gets my hamstrings and glutes yeah. more sore than just doing the negative on the poor glute ham machine that I have at home, and then. And then just doing a small push at the bottom just to get the momentum going, almost the way you would do a push press overhead, yeah. just a little bit, and then just try to muscle all the way to the finish. Just that alone is good. I had a friend come over to my house one time who could just bang out reps, but this guy's a freak. He can, I mean, he's, he's just perfect strength to body weight ratio. I think there's a clip of it on YouTube. A friend of mine just did six, seven reps in perfect form, just banging them out like they're nothing. I'll tell you something interesting about um, – when I went to Auckland, a couple of my, like the researchers at were uh, that I became friends with were very interested in um, in eccentric training, and I didn't know this at the right. time. Mm -hmm. This was a few years back, but they educated me on the topic, and they said, "Brett, um, eccentrics actually um, shift they sh they they shift the torque angle curve. They shift shift the optimal length of force production to longer muscle lengths, and this is important in sprinting because, like in sprinting, you get the peak 
length and peak activation at the same time before the foot touches the ground. And so to prevent hamstring injuries, it might be beneficial to get the hamstring stronger at longer muscle lengths. And so they, they looked at like the, the Nordic ham curl and they showed that you could shift. So what they would do is there's this machine called an isokinetic dynamometer and you can show that uh, measures your torque production at different ranges of motion. And you can give people like, say, eight weeks of Nordic ham curls and then you retest them and it shows that now they're, they're stronger. They're, they're, the strongest position shifted to like a longer muscle length. And so it was just interesting. So then I, I researched on it, and I found that it actually lengthens muscle as well. So when you static stretch, you're not lengthening the muscle at all. You're not changing the length of the muscle. You're working on the nervous system when you static stretch. Hmm. You're working on your brain saying, okay, it's okay to stretch a little bit further. I'm right, you know, okay right. going there. You increase what's called your stretch tolerance. Yeah. Well, you do negatives and long length exercises like an RDL, you actually lengthen the muscle it, through sarcomerogenesis, you add muscle in series. You add sarcomeres in series, and you lengthen the muscle. So that that's uh, that jives with my findings. Is that you know I remember being very tight once upon a time, and as I started lifting weights, I remember getting getting to a point going, I don't think I need to stretch anymore. As long as I do these exercises, I maintain you know fair amounts of flexibility. As long as I do my full squats, my RDLs my, you know, chin-ups and dips and things like that, then I don't need to stretch anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, RDL is an incredible stretch, actually, for your hamstrings. That is, I've always found that improves flexibility without even working on that stretch. So that's a good point. Just doing certain exercises through that full range of motion will definitely help. Now, switching gears here, you're, you're somewhat notorious for a couple YouTube posts on, <laughs> on some issues you had with some of Charles Poliquin's information. <laughs> where where did where did this whole thing start, man? Where where did this whole where where did, where did this whole thing come into, come into play? So um, at that time, I was receiving emails from a lot of insiders saying that he had been bad mouthing me, hmm. and my stance, like I I lay off of people, I kind of like live and let live. But my stance right. is that if you're gonna, uh, what is this saying? If you're gonna throw stones, make sure you don't live in a glass house oh, or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> So it's like if you're going to be bad mouthing me, make sure you're, you know, you better make sure you're not flawed, you know, in, in your reasoning. And so I decided to, you know, it's a, a grill the guru post. And after doing that, I reflected upon it and I just thought, you know, I don't want this to be my role uh, in the industry as being like this policeman that goes and <laughs> right. everyone down. Yeah. So it's the only time I ever did that. I remember writing at the time, this was a cup, like probably like, I don't know, two and a half years ago, and I was going to start grilling everyone. And But then I, it just, it's not the way I want to yeah, be. Yeah, the, the problem with that strategy, even if what you're saying is correct, is that it comes off as if you're just jealous. Yeah, he's of just that a hater. He's success. just a hater. Exactly. <laughs> so you're trying to use his name to assert your, yourself in some way, whether that's true or not. That's just the way it comes off. Yeah, I believe that a lot of people do that. Number one, a lot of people do do that, and it's uh, to me a, a you know disgusting strategy. Right. And number two, you're absolutely right. Uh, I can't, you know, it takes its toll on you. Even if you think you have a healthy self-esteem and you're, you know, un unflinchable or whatever, you wake up, <laughs> you wake up to. God, I remember reading on that blog post. You wake up to, uh, you know, dozens of comments and. And it doesn't change anyone's mind. No, no. The people who love Poliquin are going to keep loving Poliquin, and the people who love me and whatever are going to keep loving. It's 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 just a stupid strategy. And then you have to wake up to all these emails going, you don't you know you don't even look like you lift. <laughs> yeah, coming from people, of course, who have no picture, exactly. And no Where's no real photo? name, and exactly, exactly. Hey, you're just a jealous douchebag, and all these you're like. And, you know, every once in a while it gets to you and then you're like, you know, I, you have to remember, I put myself in this position. So right. now it reminds me when Mike Tyson said he used to get really angry with racist behavior and he was walking down the street in New York City one time and some guy drove by and yelled out the N word at him and he was he was sprinting after this car. 
trying to catch up. And four blocks later, he goes, what am I doing? I say, I'm sprinting after a car. <laughs> you know? he's, he's like, you just got to let some stuff go sometimes and, and not let it bother you so much. Yep, yep. Oh, man. So what are, what are you working okay. on these days, man? What's going on? What's new on the horizon? You know, I just moved into a new house, and um, I've got a... Oh, where are you based, Brett? I'm in Phoenix. Okay. And so I have a, a garage gym, and um, I'm just putting up the finishing touches, and I have to start cranking on my PhD. It's something that has just been weighing on me, and I need to... I'm going to be looking at... It's something I'm so curious about. Like, I'm going to be looking at squats versus hip thrusts, and if I can get enough subjects, I'll have a squats and hip thrust group. But looking on transfer to performance, looking at different... Because like you said earlier, they're two different lifts. So there's going to be benefits that one does that the other doesn't do and vice versa. And so I, it's important to learn about these different things. And so you know, we can study muscle activation. We can study force plate stuff and look at forces and powers. You can look at a lot of different things. But at the end of the day, you can speculate based on things about like okay, this has higher EMG in this muscle, so it pro, you know, it's going to be better for muscle hypertrophy. But it, that's, you're inferring that. You're not measuring that. If you want to claim that it's better for hypertrophy, then you need a training study. Right. You, know, you need right. experiments. The experiments have to match the theories or else it's wrong. So that's what I want to do is a, a big training study. To, but it's hard because uh, like you guys can probably relate. Like I'm a strength coach turned researcher and so a lot of this stuff is you know i have to go invest it takes me a lot of time to go investigate okay i I can measure their glute girth with a tape measure but that doesn't again that's not looking exactly at hypertrophy so if i want to look at hypertrophy well what what do i you know i need mri i don't have mri i need ultrasound i don't have ultrasound i need you know you can do decks and things like that so but it's like okay how who's going to do that i've got to come up with the money so I gotta like fund my own study here if I want to measure hypertrophy. It's not right. It's not right. easy, but I want a good, high quality study to, that that looks at this, and hopefully it'll inspire other researchers to keep looking at it. So, yeah, there's always Kickstarter, man. Everybody's doing Kickstarter now. Even you got you have directors in Hollywood who has money, have money like Spike <laughs> Lee, yeah. you know, and all these guys. They've got freaking millions, but they're doing Kickstarters to fund movies. I'm like, why are you people funding these dudes? They have money. They're just being effing lazy they're, you know? they're doing what gene simmons always advised which is risk other people's money exactly. your, which, which is which honestly is a saying i hate you know because because i mean first of all if you're gonna if you're gonna why if you don't want to risk your own money why would i want to give you money to risk so that that's the part that always right. irritates me and then this is a total that <laughs> this is a total segue discussion from what we're talking about but just to reinforce it a little bit more like on that show the shark tank what mark cuban always asks the person that's coming in there looking for an investment, how much of their own money have they put into right. it? And a lot of times they're like, none. And he's like, well, forget it. I'm out. <laughs> right. Because it's just, there's two things he hates. One, people who don't put in their own money. And then two, people that still have a job on the side. Those are the two, those are the two things I always talk about. If you have a job on the side, forget about making it happen. It's never going to work. It's like, you, you, you don't put money, you don't believe in your product enough to put your own money into it. Why are you asking me to put and, money And you don't believe it? in it enough to do a full-time <laughs> commitment either. It's like, why the fuck do you still have a job on the side? Put all your fucking energy into what you're trying to get done. Yeah, exactly. That's funny. I've had a, like one of my clients was so hell bent on me going trying to go on the shark tank for my hip thruster invention oh, yeah it's uh <laughs> it, it would be good just for exposure brett yeah, exactly if, I, I thought about going on there with some of my stuff not even with the intent of getting an investment just for the just for the television exposure exactly because it's millions <laughs> of people watching it's funny because i i've watched it a couple times and i will tell you it's a <laughs> I, I remember being a first-time inventor i used to call it the scorcher and i i it's a good machine, but you, it's so hard to be objective as an inventor. Right. Um, it's you're, you're delusional. You're fueled by you have this pie in the sky, and you're not grounded in reality. And I thought of the hip thrust. You know, I thought of this. I call it the hip thruster now, but I thought of it like in 2006. So it's been eight years, and I'm so much more practical now. And it's like, yeah, I, I, I can get the most amazing glute workout off of this thing. But I'm also realized this is not a good, it's not a, like, commercial gyms aren't going to want to do bands, for example. They aren't going to, you know, they someone can steal them or the bands can break. Like, I'm a lot more realistic now and I, I don't, you know, plan on saving the world or making, you know, be, becoming some freaky 
multi-millionaire off this invention. It's like I'm grounded in reality. It's got work. I have to do more research. I have to redesign it to be more, you know, there's work that needs to be done if I'm, a, I'm to ever make money off of this invention. And I could imagine standing in front of those guys, you know. <laughs> yeah, you're going to get torched, man, if you don't know what you're doing. When people, exactly. come, in, when people come in there unprepared, I mean, oh, they get, it is, they it's get uncomfortable eaten alive. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it is. a shark tank for real. <laughs> and you got these five people bombarding you with questions. Well, what about this? What about that? <laughs> and then, you and then you they dish you. Nah, I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> and watch some of the inventors. They're not, they're not grounded. They're not realistic about it. It's like they'll ask you know, you're valuing your company at this much and you've right. only, this, you know, and it's like, like yeah. well, well they, they've sold nothing and they're valuing like, what are you $10 basing million. This dollars. Like, yeah, exactly. How, how 1999, 2000 of you, internet startup of you to sit there and put that big valuation on something that has not proven itself. You know, right. like they've been through this already before. Exactly. <laughs> well, the, the great question they always ask is when people make these projections, someone like Mark Cuban will always say, but projections mean nothing. You have no idea where you're going to be. And, and that's great advice when, when people always talk about their goals, well, in They're 10 years, years, I'm going to hear in 20 year years, plan? I'm going to be here. I was like, come on, you really know where you're going to be in 10 years. Hey, come what's on. your five you year plan? I'm like, you could, you could be I'm hit breaking. by a bus next week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Hopefully you make it there. I could talk forever about this. I, I, when we, when I was back in the day, I had a business plan made and it was so elaborate and, you know, I, investors loved it. And it's, and I look back at that and I'm like, it was so, it's just finagling. It's just a, like, like, like this pie in the sky, you're just making things look, per, you know, as as ideal as you can. And there's no, I don't know, it just wasn't grounded in reality. You know, to make something work, like you said, you gotta, you know, like the the business plan that that was made for Scorcher and it failed the first time because the investors. That was when the economy collapsed, right? right. And the investors, um, they were willing to dump a lot of money into it, but they they did not. Um, it was like it was just this strategy that would have never worked. And now uh, it's funny because I only sell a, you know, a couple hip thrusters a week. It's a very s small percentage of my income, right. but I'm doing it on my own. I'm not getting investors, and I know that if it's going to work, I'm going to be the one to make it happen. Well, that's the best way to go. Exactly. I mean, I always tell I was talking to a guy about this the other day. I go, you want to control distribution. And this is a point that so few get where they want to make something and then pass the buck. They go, I just want to put it together and then just give it to someone else to get it out there. I go, that's that's great. So you're going to go through all this trouble to make a product. You're going to make nothing off of it. Or And that's assuming that it even gets out there. I mean, if you really want to make sure something gets out there, you better create that distribution on your own and proliferate it. Yeah, and the, yeah, well, the... That's what. Um, so when the economy collapsed, my investors came back to me and they said, "Well, the economy tanked. We lost all this <laughs> in money in real estate, and so we're going to pull the plugs on on Scorcher. But uh, unless you give us your ownership, then we'll keep." And I'm like thinking, if I gave them my ownership, then they they own the patents and they could just fire me. Right. Right. They could just, exactly. Oh, it was the stupidest thing. I I said, "No way in hell," and. If you guys want to let the ship sink, that's on you. It's not on me. I'm stick. I'm holding up my end of the bargain. And so, but it taught me be very, you know, weary of going through investors. And again, like I remember one of my friends, my dad's friends, who sold workout equipment. My dad was telling him about the business strategy, and he's like, "That's a stupid plan. That we were going <laughs> to." all these celebrities and he's like you don't make money giving units away you make no, money of course not no and then, frankly when i see celebrity endorsements that makes me more skeptical exactly. not less <laughs> i mean with my with my products my supplement line i didn't even think about I didn't, I didn't even think about sending it to really anyone beyond my friends for free to try it out i wasn't thinking well let me get a list of influential people and send them some if they if they want to try it they should buy it like everyone else i mean i well, believe strongly you know i believe strongly in what i have and that it's a great product i don't need some fucking bullshit testimony to get it out there well and mike those people never see when you give a unit away these people they are, don't even use it it's, it's, on, their, it's on their shelf somewhere but they don't value it because they didn't pay for it yeah and they don't go out and be and be promoting it left and right so i i've yeah. i've received emails from pro sports teams and i can't tell you how like i've gotten a lot of emails from big people and they can i have a free unit and i just say you know i'm not at that point yet i'm not making enough to justify giving you a free unit if you want one you got to buy one. And I had a guy right. email me yesterday saying he's some kind of I – I didn't even read the whole thing because I knew I wasn't interested. I just skimmed it. I go, nah, delete. 
But anyway, what the premise I got is that he's some kind of marketing guy that provides these gift baskets for NFL players oh. where they get all these free products, right? So every NFL player on this team or that team gets a bag full of goodies. And he's like, how about sending some of your products to put in the goodie bag? And, and like, you know what these guys do, these NFL yeah. players do? They end up giving it to their mom or their uncles or someone like that. So they just throw it away, man. <laughs> it's like, it's a it's gift. Like all, all these bodybuilders who are endorsed by supplement companies and they get free product, they don't use that crap. It's in their garage. <laughs> right. Now that Dorian right. Yates used to talk about how he would, he would get all this free protein powder, but he didn't think it was all that great. So he just stacked it up in his garage. He had 100 <laughs> containers in there. You know, they're not fucking using that shit. You're getting paid. I mean, if, if, if I have to pay someone, to say they like my stuff, that's already a wrong equation right there. <laughs> exactly. Why do I have to pay you to say that you like the product? You should say you like the product because it fucking works and you like it. Yep, yep. Exactly, man. <laughs> well, cool. So, Brad, I'm curious how this whole New Zealand experience was. How long were you out there and what was your takeaway on that whole experience? I was out there for one year. Okay. And what's it, so I, I learned a lot in the experience. Number one, if you move somewhere, you got to do your homework because I'm just clueless about traveling and so <laughs> New Zealand and it's the most beautiful place in the world you know that like all these movies have been filmed there and it's just unbelievably beautiful yeah. well I was born and raised in, in Arizona and I'm used to the sun and I will tell you <laughs> it rains like I don't know probably like it rained like probably like 280 days at least out of it yeah. that was there no doubt and some of the times it's raining so hard. I remember I would work nights. I would go to the university, and I would, I was the only student who worked nights. So I would be alone, and I would. It was funny because my professor would see me at like, like six p.m., and then he'd show up to work the next day at like eight o'clock, and I'd still be there, and he'd see me in my same clothes, and he'd just shake his head. <laughs> but I would, I, I was, I was a workhorse out there because I had no friends and family out there so i just studied in one year it's like i didn't really read that much research before then and i caught up in that one year i read so much and studied so much but uh I, it was a good it was good for me in a lot of ways but it, what's ironic is it taught me to appreciate the u.s certain things about the u.s that i took took for granted sure any, living on any island is very expensive right yeah um and and, and even as an online um, here's what I, I made this connection going, you know, I make my money online. So if I live in an expensive area, so like if I was a, if you were like an engineer or a teacher or a doctor or whatever, and you moved to one of these expensive cities, your, your income would raise you. They would pay you more because you know, the cost of living is higher, but right. that's not true for my situation. I make my money online. And so I like yeah. Whatever you make is what you make. Whether you live right. in whether whether you live in Akron, Ohio, or you live in Manhattan, <laughs> right. you know that's exactly. what you're making. Yeah. So if you just say hypothetically a hypothetical figure, if I'm if you made a hundred grand a year, well you, that's a lot if you live in one city. But if you live in another city, you can barely make a living. So right. it's uh, so it made me realize you should live in a city that's more affordable and. Uh, but I and also like I remember every day I'd wake up and I'd open the curtains hoping to see sunlight. And, it would <laughs> and it, when when the seasons are flip flopped out, they're so December like December and January and February are so Summer. beautiful there. But it's rainy. Every, there. Everyone's oh, so everyone's so pale too. You feel like you're on the set for a Twilight movie or something. <laughs> you know what I mean, you're you got these people have never seen the sun in their life. You know the UK the UK is like that too. If I'm out there for two weeks teaching. You start you start forgetting what the sun ever felt like. You just start yeah, yeah. You start wondering if it even exists. So I met some great people out there. Um, God, my my supervisor, he's like a second dad to me. I would I would probably die for the guy. He means so much to me. He's so awesome. But I made some great connections, and I'm so happy I did it. It's a point like a part of my life that I'm so happy for. But it it did make me appreciate and i and i appreciate things about new zealand too it gives you like a more worldly perspective but it did make me realize that i i like you know i want to live by family i missed my i have a twin brother i hang out with him all the time and i have a good family and it's like it made me miss and appreciate them even more yeah, that's important, though. I mean, it's a good experience for you, and I think that's one of the big pluses of international travel is that it, it gives you more reflection, like what you went through. You would definitely appreciate the things about the U.S. that you take for granted, and then you see some things that 
you prefer in other countries you go to. But yep. it, either way, it, it broadens your perspective. So exactly. it's, it's always something I recommend to everyone. And whenever, whenever you talk to people that have never been outside the country, there's something missing in their developments. There's something that's just is not quite there. So I, so I always encourage people that when you have the opportunities to travel, take it. Take it. Yep. Well, cool, man. Where can people find out more about? I'm oh, sorry, sincere, sincere. Did you have a question? Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to wrap up maybe. the show. So, I mean, where where can people find out more about you, Brett? So, just go to my blog, brettcontreras.com. That's there's one T in Brett, so B R E T C O N T R E R A S dot com, and that's like the hub. If you wanted to s- subscribe to my newsletter, I don't spam people. I send like one newsletter out a week, just with links to my articles. And there's also like links to my Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, and also different services and things that I I have a research review service and a glute training service and things like that that you can find in books that I've written. So that's the hub for everything is just my website. Uh, very cool, man. You know, your your New Zealand story, remind, I've been to New Zealand a few times with my parents when I was a kid. And of course, whenever I travel anywhere with my dad, he takes you to the worst parts of the country. <laughs> you know, I've been to India twice. I've never seen the Taj Mahal. I've seen I've seen abject <laughs> poverty. I've been to dirt, poor towns and all that. And I remember this one memory in New Zealand that's unfortunately burned in my memory is my brother and I were at these hot springs. And there were a bunch of locals that that were using these. And we're just walking around. We're about to get in some of them. And then this huge lady gets out of one of the springs butt naked. (laughs) And she looks at us with this deeper voice than Hulk Hogan and says, you guys shouldn't be here. (laughs) And and then then I I remember I was a kid. I looked at Roger. We're never going to forget this, are we? (laughs) Sure enough, we did it, man. That was very scary. (laughs) I think I know where you're talking about. I was there. I can't remember the... Was that same lady still there? <laughs> that's a way. That's a way to scare off. Old, to keep. That's a way to keep it for locals. Like they, they just plant that lady in there anytime an out of towner comes in. You know? It's like, all right, see those guys over there. We don't want them coming back. So jump one. The second they walk by, jump out of that water. It was, it was like one of the beasts from the movie Pacific Rim coming out of the water. Right? I mean, it was some scary stuff. Man. Yeah, that's what. Uh, it's never like people. You know, like. I've never been to a nude beach. Or oh, anything. I have. People, I, I was talking to one of my neighbors about it. He's like, oh, I love Europe. They got all these nude beaches. I was like, have you ever been to one of those nude beaches? Yeah. He's like, no, it just sounds great. I was like, yeah, it does sound great in theory. So, when, yeah, exactly. when you go there, it's a bunch of fucking fat fucks walking around with their dorks hanging out and fat chicks walking around with everything hanging out. It's not, it's not the Playboy Mansion, guys, okay? It's not like an 80s movie or anything like yeah. that, man. In fact, if you want to get a taste of what it's like, just go to South Beach and just look yeah. around when you have like all the foreigners coming in and you see these guys walking around in speedos that should not be walking around in speedos. Yeah, there was a guy That's walking around with the back so hairy, looked like a grizzly bear. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's not what you think it's going to be. Yeah. Well, Why are those people the most confident people with being naked? They have nothing to no, lose, no. Brett. They have nothing to lose. Like, dude, look at my back. What else is going how, how worse can it get? Okay. I have a Chia Pet hanging on my back right now. Okay, It can't get any worse than this, dude. No, a, lot, a lot of guys are like that, though, right? They don't have that body image care. problem. They're, they're walking around like, yeah, baby, check out this gut. You know you like this. Somebody, somebody, yeah, every good tool needs a good shed. That's why I got this gut. Like, come on, man. You women, women like confidence, man. Exactly. So they, they, they pull those Jedi mind tricks. They're like, shit, if he's that confident, there must be something to him. You know? Plus, they don't want an insecure guy that's prettier than they are, you know, taking up mirror time from them, you know, like, Come on. I've had women are, I've had women tell me they've dated fitness type guys before, models, and when and then the woman will get approached by a a scout for a modeling gig and they'll get they'll get jealous that the guy's not coming to them. <laughs> I was like, dude, talk about some what kind of man are you, man? <laughs> she gave more attention than me. What's wrong with me? <laughs> like that's up, Sally. No, well, there, you see a lot of uh females that you train that they're husbands start getting upset and jealous that they're f- focusing on their fitness and it's like exactly 
just blows me away because you're you benefiting the from too, man. You see the reverse happen a lot where a guy's in good shape and the chick is who's lazy and doesn't want to work out is going, why are you working out all the time? You don't have to because now they're getting worried. It's like, okay, he's getting confidence now. And guess what? If I don't get off my ass, if I don't get off my ass, he may leave me or something like that. We're like, look, if that's a problem, then you've got problems way bigger than him getting in I mean, shape and you're not going to leave you. They're going to leave you regardless. regardless. He would have left you when he was fat. Trust me. <laughs> you know, so they, they should be the other way around because you're the hotter they get, you get to be yeah. with them. Right yeah, that, that should be a plus, man. Why exactly. is that? I think I think it's a problem whenever someone is not supportive of another trying to improve right, themselves right. in some way, whether it's their brain health or their fitness. Business. Or their fitness. I mean, come on. If you don't have a support system in your personal relationships, that's a real problem right there. That's a fundamental flaw. Yep. On that, Dr. Phil, no. the lady in the hot spring. Okay, <laughs> note to self. <laughs> I, think, I think we covered everything. Let's see, Beast in New Zealand. We got the glute stuff down. <laughs> Bikini models in the elevator. That's probably why you're not in that condo anymore. I'm sure, they, I'm sure the HOA, you know, we probably had an issue with that. <laughs> well, we're coming up on exactly one hour, so you guys nailed it. So, well, there you go. We appreciate it, Brad, man. Thanks a lot for coming on, buddy. Thanks, brother. Thanks for having me, and, and uh, great meeting you, Sincere, and thanks a lot, Mike. All right, take care. Pleasure, man. You take care. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks again. So definitely check out his website. Check out his – he's got a lot of cool YouTube clips on just perfecting the power lifts, improving your deadlift technique. I was watching a few – actually a few weeks ago when I first asked him to come on and just some great tips that I picked up. Yeah. So definitely get on there and check it out. All right, folks. So you can also use that coupon code LLA to get 10% off any of my products. You know what they are. You should be on them. How many times? We've done almost 100 episodes now. Get on the products, my nutrition supplements. Buy my videos if you haven't gotten them already. And then uh, what can they get with you, man? Same deal, man. Use coupon code LLA over newwarriortraining.com. Get 10% off of my DVD, the wellness code ebook, uh, the digital copy of that, as well as the Weight Management 101 course and the goodies that will be coming along down the pipe, but you can go get a head start now and start buying the other stuff for now. There you go. All right. We're going to wrap it up. Take care. All right, folks. Take care.